As a listener to Intelligent Medicine, you know that fish oil provides the vital omega-3s, EPA, and DHA that support your cardiovascular, brain, nerve, vision, immune system, joint, and skin health, as well as your inflammatory balance. My preferred fish oil brand is Vital Nutrients, offering a line of 11 ultra-pure omega-3 solutions, including soft gels, liquid, and enteric-coated options in a variety of potencies. Vital Nutrients even offers a high-performance and nutrient-dense vegan omega supplement option. Vital Nutrients' line of ultra-pure omega-3 solutions are held to the most rigorous quality standards in the industry, ensuring maximum freshness, purity, and potency. I use Vital Nutrients myself and recommend it to my patients. For more information and to order, call 888-328-9992. That's 888-328-9992. Or go to vitalnutrients.co. That's vitalnutrients.co for the Vital Nutrients line of Ultra Pure Omega-3 Solutions. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today's podcast is all about mold. And this is a significant problem uh, among the paradigms of uh, natural medicine. Uh, I think this is one of the most uh, challenging and elusive uh, because people who suffer from unexplained illness, you know, we look at their nutritional status, uh, we look at their diets, uh, we consider food allergy, we consider even uh, chemical uh, exposure. Uh, but mold toxicity uh, is something that is A, very hard to identify. Uh, it is elusive, invisible, and very insidious, and it can be very challenging to treat. And so today we've invited a real expert on the subject. She's Dr. Jill Krista, spelled C-R-I-S-T-A. She's written a book called Break the Mold, Five Tools to Conquer Mold and Take Back Your Health. And it's, you know, I just complimenting her, uh, you know, prior to getting on the air that the book is really great because it's uh, it boils down a lot of complex information into a uh, simple uh, action plan. And uh, this isn't easy. The uh, Dealing with mold problems is really an art. Uh, and Dr. Jill, I think you've done a great job in uh, explaining it. Uh, but uh, you. yeah, first of all, uh, give us a little background because uh, you, you're, in addition to treating patients with mold problems, you yourself experienced uh, mold problems. And uh, in spite of your vast knowledge, uh, it kind of caught you unawares. Yes, yes, it did. So first, thank you for having me on your podcast. It's really an honor. Um, yeah, so I started in the world of natural medicine. I'm a naturopathic doctor, and um, I started in Wisconsin, so where I established my family practice. And I ended up seeing quite a bit of Lyme patients because we're in a Lyme endemic area. And I had a subset of patients that just were not getting better. And typically with naturopathic and functional medicine, when you're addressing the root cause, people get better. <laughs> That's a, kind of the magic of it. And yet there is this group of people that just, they were doing everything right and not really seeing the gains that I was seeing in my other patients. And in one of those patients, they found black mold in his house. And it turns out it was a 12-year exposure. Mm. And it started to just make all the connections. I got into the research and I'm thinking, oh, that's why this guy's gut 
you know, we can't do, we can't get it in order even though we're doing all the right gut stuff. That's why this guy has tinnitus. That's why this guy is, has urinary frequency and pelvic pain and insomnia and anxiety through the roof that's actually reacts the wrong way to medication. You know, it was all of these things that as I dug into the research, which there's quite a bit of animal research, not so much human, um, then I was able to kind of extrapolate that to him and started to see gains finally. And then I went to looking at these other patients and thought, I wonder if that's what's going on with them. And in almost every single case of the Lyme patients, the chronic Lyme patients that weren't getting better, they had either a past or a current mold exposure in their history that I had kind of glossed over because I thought of it as allergy, asthma, mm-hmm. rashes. And, you and know? that's the conventional view of uh, mold yeah. uh, is that it can be responsible for problems. Conventional allergists uh, test for mold. They instruct their patients to uh, dehumidify their homes or remediate problems. Uh, but typically they're looking simply at uh, respiratory symptoms. And uh, But the symptoms of mold toxicity uh, are legion, and it's more than just an allergy, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's my mission is to expand the definition of mold illness so that we're not looking at just the CDC-defined IgE-mediated type reactions to the spores and the spore fragments, but also to think about, you know, what is the what are the the larger implications of those interactions of spores and spore fragments, and also these mycotoxins. And in my particular case, I know Dr. Shoemaker has a little different view on this, and I'm not a Shoemaker-trained doc. I was trained by naturopathic doctors, Dr. Walter Kernian and Lynn Patrick. And Mm -hmm. the view there is that, um, you know, the the people that we're dealing with, and, and everybody has their selection bias by who comes in, but the majority of my patients that were dealing with chronic illness what I'm now calling mold-related illness, are dealing with some of the mycotoxin effects, even if those mycotoxins might be gone. You know, that they're, they create, gene, they're genotoxic, they're immunotoxic, they're toxic to the organs of detoxification and the gut lining. So we have this entire uh, milieu of symptoms that are that are happening. And uh, that's could you expand <laughs> our definition of uh, mycotoxins, by the way, sp- yes. spelled M-Y-C-O, toxins, uh, I think that that's a, a really important uh, concept, and it really uh, helps us advance beyond a, a limited understanding of how people react to mold. Yeah, so mycotoxins, uh, I'll back up a little. Every living mold that's happily metabolizing and has a food source and a moisture source, and that's key, it doesn't have to be a flood, it can just be too high of moisture. So if they're happily chunking along there that's the mold factory so to speak and they're pumping out these chemicals of happily living mold so they're they're pumping out microbial vocs um aldehydes alcohols and then they have their cellular fragments so these are gaseous uh, substances they're Mm -hmm. invisible do they smell musty can you tell uh, that you're being exposed to these things necessarily these guys may smell musty if they're exposed to the indoor air, but if they're trapped behind building material, you won't necessarily have mm-hmm. a nose hit. And then there's these other way more poisonous thing called mycotoxins. And the mycotoxins are made in a competitive advantage. Molds are very territorial. So once a mold spore finds that perfect place, like what I refer to in my book is lakefront property, yeah, we, we think of it as a big blob of water, but all it has to be is moisture. And that's, that's really hard to wrap your head around that, wow, just moisture in the air can do this. So if a mold finds that perfect place and another mold spore or bacteria 
um, wants to come in and also live there, it will start gas bombing those hmm. neighboring microbes to defend its territory and its kind, so hmm. to speak. Hmm. And they're not really, we are not really their target because this is microscopic. We're just, we're just collateral right. damage. Exactly. Yeah. But if you think about what those mycotoxins are designed for, they're designed to kill all other living things. Hmm. And that can happen to us. These mycotoxins are cytotoxic. They're, they're meaning cellularly toxic. And that can affect every cell in our body. There are some specific things about them. They're lipophilic, which means they're fat soluble. And as a a regular human, when you hear fat soluble, you're thinking love handles or big booty or those kind of things. <laughs> um, but as a practitioner, a medically trained practitioner, we know what that means. That means, you know, all of the fatty, lipid, rich tissues in our body, which means brain and nervous system, mm-hmm. bone marrow, immune system, all the organs of our immune system, the spleen, the thymus. And that starts to now, oh, yeah, the gut lining. Oh, my goodness, lymph lymph tissues and so you can start to see kind of why the i'm trying to expand that definition to be bigger than just allergy because now we're dealing with something that could infuse into every cell lining of every cell in our body and so what are the range of symptoms that uh, you might experience and uh you know that maybe uh, you know we may not actually have time to <laughs> you know, enumerate that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there, and that's the hard thing is it can look different in every single person. It depends on your, the amount of dose, the type of mycotoxins that you're exposed to, um, your particular personal susceptibility, which might be genetic or nutritional or previous exposures. Um, it could have to do with gender and body fat, um, status. So it can be lots of different things. But in general, we're going to see some level of fatigue and it might be to bed bound. You know, from that, that's the most extreme, or it might just be a competitive athlete that's not able to hit their VO2 max. Mm-hmm. So it can be anywhere in between, but something where there's a marked difference in, in a fatigue level. Um, I also see anxiousness, or I, I'm careful not to say anxiety because mm-hmm. we think it's not an anxiety disorder, and it may not even be apparent on the outside that someone that's looking nervous, not at all. It's an internal feeling of unsettled, unrest, I don't feel safe in the world, something's wrong. And, and people will just describe it as being, having just a general sense of unrest in the inside. It's I don't know it's that as I as if thought. it triggers an alarm in yes. the body and it's, but it's hard for people to tune into the source of that. There's just a sense of malaise. Yeah. And, and, um, unsafety. And so people will often, uh, people around the mold sick person will, will see them kind of pin that anxiety or anxious feeling on things in their life that makes sense because this is a hidden problem. It's a microscopic problem. You know, mold, it can often exist and you don't even see it because it's trapped behind building materials. But the mycotoxins, they're affecting the brain without really seeing the tiger. So you, so people will start to kind of go look for tigers that aren't really there. <laughs> so people around them will say, why is that person so worried about finances? They're fine. Why is that person so worried about, you know, their kids, something, something, you know, fill in the blank. Um, they become really cautious about foods and um, start to have histamine reactions and all these things that are related to the, the brain really getting rewired to be constantly threat um, watching, you know, watching around for the threats in the can, environment. Can mold sensitivity make you more allergic in general or make you 
multiply chemically sensitive? Can it can it uh, have a spreading effect? Absolutely. Yeah. So the idea is a total load. So if you're exposed to an indoor environment that's affected by water damage or that is hosting toxic molds, you're being exposed to all those chemicals I was talking about, the MVOCs, the aldehydes, alcohols. So that that loads up your organs of detoxification. And then the mycotoxins are potent detox. They're, they're toxic to the liver, the kidneys. Um, they're really tough on the gut. So of course now our ability to detoxify those toxins themselves, the mycotoxins, but also all the other things that the happily living mold is spitting out. So we see an increase in chemical sensitivity, um, an increase in like food sensitivities. People get a headache, you know, because they can't, they can't follow a car too close or they get a headache or they can't go into the, um, the aisle at the grocery the store detergent or all the aisle. stuff. Yeah, yeah, the detergent aisle. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So all of a sudden those little things, they can't burn candles anymore and they start to kind of clean up the things that they have control over when really what needs to be doing happening, I mean, that's wonderful, but is to clean up the, the hidden mold problem. Okay, folks, at this point, let's pause and allow one of our sponsors an opportunity to share this vital message with you. If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Chocolate can be your strength. I've been searching high and low for cocoa products that deliver meaningful amounts of healthful flavanols with great flavor and minimal sugar. So I'm thrilled to have found Flava Naturals. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. But you need to eat five or more ordinary dark chocolate bars every day to match the flavanols consumed in most of these studies. Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate Cocoa Powder and beverages deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. Thanks for listening and thanks for allowing us to share uh, some of our sponsors' information. They're what make Intelligent Medicine a continuing free resource to you. And now back to our guest, Dr. Jill Krista. Will you boil this uh, complex process into a five-step uh, action plan? And, uh, you know, I'll just recite the steps and maybe we can go into them a little bit. Uh, really, uh, there's a lot of detail here. You know, you certainly want to read the book. Uh, it is likely that if you have a complex mold problem, uh, you'll need to access the help of a health professional uh, in addition to a professional remediator. And I, I think you point that out in the book. But the book is a wonderful mm -hmm. guide to how that process might look. And so it's five steps. Avoidance, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, fundamental, which is, uh, you know, we'll get into protect, repair, and fight. Uh, and I noticed that you you actually say fight at the very end. So mm. uh, what's the risk of going too fast? You know, say you diagnose somebody having a mold problem and you say, look, you you know, you've got, uh, you know, uh, fungal overgrowth in your body and your sinuses. So we're going to give you, uh, you know, diflucan, fluconazole, uh, you know, some kind of powerful medication to knock it out. Um, you think that's a bad idea? Well, I learned that the hard way. I learned that by making patients sicker. 
um, getting really into it, you know, once I figured out it was mold and then I, I developed a questionnaire for myself in clinic to sort of determine the lime versus the mold picture. And then, so when people would take the mold questionnaire and score a probable mold illness. By, by the way, the mold questionnaire is in the book mm -hmm. and it's excellent. So you yes. can, you can uh, take the mold test, uh, and, uh, that, uh, you know, will help you. I mean, look, it's, it's, it, it's an art. It's not rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's not like one single easy, simple test, you know, like the COVID-19, uh, you know, PCR test or something to diagnose right. this with. But there are a series of uh, signs and symptoms that if you have them, it's likely that you should consider mold. And then there are blood tests. We'll talk a little bit about blood tests, stool tests, and so on. But go mm -hmm. ahead. Yeah. So um, if, and by the way, if any clinician is listening and wants a copy of the questionnaire, a PDF version that you can use in clinic, you can go to my website, drkrista.com slash questionnaire. That's very generous. Um, so you Thank don't you. have to, you know, buy the book. And um, so, yeah, if anybody wants that and... Um, lay people that are listening or regular old people, there's an easier online quiz called moldquiz.com. So if you're just curious, if you're listening to, to us talking mm -hmm. like, oh, this is me. Um, so yeah, now I kind of lost track of your question. Oh, why don't we go to antifungals right, right. away? So yeah, what's the yeah. risk? I did that and I made patients much worse. And it turns out when I dug back into the research to say, okay, what went wrong there? Um, we have seen in studies that when you expose Aspergillus, for example, was done in the study, expose it to um, antifungals, and in this case it was amphotericin B, it will actually kick up its production of mycotoxins in defense of itself. So again, going back to the beginning, really realizing that mycotoxins are formed in a competitive way, that starts to make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So once the mold knows you're coming for it, Mm -hmm. it's going to fight back. It's kind of so like that's a, attacking a, a wasp nest or something. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like they just come out at you and, you know, you got to run. That is a great analogy. That's exactly it. Yeah, I call it don't poke the bear. But, yeah, I think a wasp nest is actually a better example. Yeah. Um, you don't want to – once you start, you have to be ready for everything that's going to come back at you. And it's interesting that I actually see in my practice, I've just – I've noticed it as a trend, and now I'm starting to talk with other doctors about it. I thought I was just kind of kooky, but um, other people are seeing it, that when you start to clean up mold in the environment, the body mold starts to act more aggressively. Hmm. It's almost like they're pheromone talking to each other. It's hmm. really interesting. So some people, you know, we, we have to kind of move through those steps a little quicker if they're starting to have bad reactions from their house getting cleaned up. Now, now there's something about mold that is utterly fascinating, which kind of harkens back to, uh, I don't know, evasion, invasion of the pod people or Night of the Living Dead or something like that. It's almost <laughs> as if the mold commandeers us to do its bidding. And when I first heard that theory, I said, that's a wackadoodle theory, you know, because people want to uh, absolve themselves of personal responsibility for eating a lot of junk food and eating a lot of sugar. Some people come in and they say that the Canada did it to me. You know, it's mm. like, uh, uh, and you know, and I know my Canada is worse because I'm eating more sugar now. I go, well, you know, that's why your Canada is worse, eating more sugar. It's like, right. you know, they got the, the egg before the chicken. But actually, there is something to this notion that uh, in a very primitive way, uh, this these organisms parasitize us and commandeer us to do their bidding in a way. It sounds bizarre, but explain that. Yeah, and and that's again just something that I observed through practice and then developed a theory, and um, that theory was sort of um, I don't want to say confirmed, but there were more 
there was more support of that theory after um, a study, a couple studies were done on treating nasal biofilm and that these mold sick people would get better with people with chronic fatigue syndrome and that kind of thing. And after I started treating the sinus um, biofilm along with the systemic, I was treating, you know, along the five steps when I would get to fight, that would mean antifungals, which could mean herbs or it could mean food or it could mean medication or a combination thereof. Um, and so when I was treating that, that was sort of a systemic treatment. And I know Dr. Shoemaker's protocol is to hit Marcon sinusy, you know, sinually, <laughs> if that's a term. So I was treating Marcon's when I would find it, but, um, really didn't have the intranasal part as part of the protocol until I started to develop this theory that there, it is, seems to be sort of a continuum when you're exposed to a water damage building that the first, the first thing is that you're exposed to Spores, if they're there, and fragments, if they're there, which causes an inflammatory reaction. But if they're not, if those aren't floating around in the air and the mycotoxins are getting through, the first reaction is mycotoxin detox. So the body might have, you might walk into a moldy building if you're healthy and walk out and then the next day have diarrhea because your body just says, oof, we got to get rid of that. That was bad. Mm -hmm. And then as you go along that continuum, those mycotoxins start to set off a protective effect in your sinus microbiome and your gut microbiome that says, hey, wait a minute, I think we're trying to be in, invaded. And so what do microbes do? They defend their territory with toxins. So you start to get mycotoxins and endotoxins from the fungus and the bacteria in on your mucus lining, and that eventually causes immune deficiency, and then you can have literally you become the, the sick building, mm -hmm. and that leaves an opportunity for the, the species in that building to move into you. And we've right. now seen, you know, um, situations of people not chemo patients, not HIV patients, but mm -hmm. regular old people yeah. with some degree of immune deficiency, we're seeing stachybotrys in their tissues. Oh my goodness. And we're seeing, yeah, yeah, I mean, that that wasn't really understood that that was even possible. So, okay, so what we're saying, just to be clear, is that uh, these uh, mold uh, spores and mycotoxins, two different things, uh, come from an external environment uh, that, uh, you know, sometimes is very... The exposure is very insidious. We're not aware that we're exposed, but simultaneously and uh, somewhat synergistically, we can develop an overgrowth of yeast or aspergillus uh, in our intestinal tracts, in our nasal passages, even in our lungs. Uh, and these uh, pathogens uh, conspire with one another to colonize us and make us sick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And affect our behavior. Like you were saying about the candida, you know, that it, it, they can actually affect how we behave. And what I see is that um, people will become more sedentary. They'll become more isolated. They stay inside more. And if you think about what the mold is trying to do is compost you, you know, mm -hmm. so <laughs> that's, that's, you're making its job easier if you stay put. But also you know? it, it, it uh, selects for the kind of food that is conducive to its growth. So yes. people with this problem have a predilection for carbs and sweets. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And alcohol and fermented foods and all kinds of things that will help. And so that's part of the fundamentals is to get people off the foods that are going to, that either are mold spores, you know, if in the fungal family, like mushrooms, um, things that commonly are contaminated by mycotoxins. And then the third thing is things that will actually feed 
the fungal burden in the body. Because mm -hmm. along so, that continuum, that's what happens, is the end of that continuum is you become fungally burdened. So these days, you know, we're, we're, we think very highly of uh, mushroom extracts. Uh, these are products that are immune stimulating, you know, reishi mushrooms and lion's mane and things like that, uh, cordyceps. Uh, but in the context of mold sensitivity, it's possible that they can cross-react uh, and become a, an allergen. It's not as if they will start to grow in your body because they're basically extracts, but they're fragments of uh, basically mold. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what what the way that I see it, and again, I I learned this by making people sicker. I love medicinal mushrooms, so people mm -hmm. think I have a thing against them, but they I actually use them in my. In my, I have a practitioner course that I certify mold literate doctors. At the end of the protocol is something called mycoremediation where we use medicinal mushrooms to restore the immune function and genetic function of the immune system. Mm -hmm. So they're incredibly powerful. But um, the question is, is it kind of a hair of the dog question? So, you know, are we using it then for those kind of Beta glucans can be very triggering for mm -hmm. people when they're actively exposed to mold. Yeah, they're so, immune stimulating, um, and they may actually yeah. um, amp up the body's own uh, adverse reactions to mold. So yeah, um, and careful. so they may, and that's a key word. I'm mm -hmm. I'm glad you use that word because some people feel better taking their mushrooms, but yeah. in general, again, when you write a book for the public, I had to do the the bell mm -hmm. curve. You know, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. majority of the patients that I was seeing. When we would take them off medicinal mushrooms, they actually had less aggravation of their symptoms. And I think it's that thing of like, the message is fungus wants to come in and move in and take over. So if you have more fungus dietarily, supplementally, mm -hmm. that's going to um, further trigger the body. And we talk a lot about fermented food as being beneficial for restoration of the <laughs> microbiome. In this context, maybe not so much. And they may also increase uh, histamine reactions, which is part and parcel of the body's reaction to molds. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's uh, pause because there's a lot of information here, and uh, we can't possibly encapsulate uh, all the information that you've imparted in your book, Break the Mold, Five Tools to Conquer Mold and Take Back Your Health. There's a wonderful questionnaire in there uh, that uh, will help uh, our listeners discern whether they're likely to be exposed to mold. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, the repair and uh, remediation process uh, in part two, testing for mold exposure, uh, talk a little bit about genetic susceptibility, um, optimal diet for mold, and so on. Uh, we'll be right back. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is Intelligent Medicine.